Let's do this! Hello, and welcome to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian going over the series to see what aged like fine strawberry wine and what aged like milk. I'm Kit. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Izzy. I use see, seer pronouns. You can find us and content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall-related things at Abbey Archives on Twitter. Let's see. <laughs> uh, there's a note that I didn't see until I started this. Izzy has been a potato this week and read the book literally right before the recording. We were yep. so it's I'm, maybe I'm, been like a half an hour since I finished the book, <laughs> like this part of the book, because I've mentally I've just not been here this week. Uh, no. I'm still recovering from some pretty bad burnout that I got in December because of my job. Mm-hmm. So uh, my brain this week, because I was trying to finish some commissions I owed from December, couldn't focus on anything else. And I, I got those commissions yeah. finished, damn it. You did, and they look very good. They look very cute. Yeah, and I, I read the book. Thank God this is the short part. It's short, but it's hefty. Yeah, and it like, goes. Yeah. It fucking goes. This is the second... This is the second like book in like the past two weeks Mm -hmm. that i have read that has just been like yeah so okay i also am going to warn you guys there's going to be a very strange energy today because unlike every other recording we have done before we are recording this one in the evening because we it's a sunday doesn't have work tomorrow and i don't have work tomorrow because i clean a government building (laughs) (laughs) it's president's day or whatever president's day the first one i wanted to celebrate in a long time Sorta. I mean, even then. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a uh, bunch of old dead but you guys. But so you get, you, you get to, a day off. To, to sleep in. Yes. Well, I always get to sleep in. I work at night. <laughs> well, yeah, but like, eh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Stay up, you can stay up late. <laughs> yes. It is a different vibe. Because I'm, honest to God, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself tomorrow because I have no kids and day to work. Well, I, I've got two to work on, but they haven't been paid for yet. So they are very much on hold. And uh, Draw person- art for yourself. I don't know what to draw for myself. I do draw have a comic. Your Redwall Sona. Actually, I was just I was gonna do that while we were recording. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that uh, peek behind the curtain for you folks. Uh, if you hear like little tiny like scritch scritch noises, that is probably me like doodling while we record because that helps me focus. It's something I've been doing since junior high. You know, if I doodle. My hands are doing something and I can focus better. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, let's get back to focus here. Um, today <laughs> focus? We are, what's that? Today we are reading part two of Matameo, General Ironbeak, from chapters 26 through 36. Content warnings. Severe facial scarring, kidnapping and enslavement, character death, claustrophobic conditions, threats of drowning, fish, heights, Endangerment of a baby and birds. Birds. The birds are back, everybody. Always comes back to the birds. Back to the birds. It's always birds. the birds. Birds. <laughs> yeah, we get. Well, there's payoff to the bird that showed up in the last part of the book. Mm-hmm. The magpie at the very tail end of it, because <laughs> we open. Oh well, we don't actually get to that yet. We open book two with a meeting of the Guosim. Logalog holds the speaking stone and repeats what Matthias had told him, which was the whole adventures of, you know, our kids got kidnapped and now we're trying to get them back from Slagar. Uh, he's interrupted by Scan, who asks what's 
what it's got to do with them. When rebuked to not speak unless he holds the stone, he says it's a stupid rule. He's more than happy to talk when he wants. Orlando Breaking almost... every fucking gruesome rule just right there. Yeah. Like, that's the one thing that we learned in fucking Redwall is if you don't hold the stone, you don't fucking talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I it's like a good. It's a good rule. Yeah. Orlando stands to defend their friend, but Matthias calms him. Like, I, I love that Orlando is already so ready to go to bat for Logalog, but also that Matthias <laughs> trusts his friend enough to be like, no, he can handle this. It's a warrior's respect. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> a hubbub is caused, but Logalog gets control again, yelling over said hubbub. He rallies the Guosim. Like just doing his, like, war cry. Going, yeah, the log a 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 log I hate that war cry. He rallies the Guosim, reminding them of how Redball has always been their friend. Not true. Offering aid and companionship when it was needed. Okay, technically, technically... Okay, for the past eight seasons, Redwall has been their friend. And it also, has. before that, Redwall would not have turned a shrew away. Agreed. So, um, like, it's not wrong. No. But, so. yeah, I was just being a little snarky there. Um, <laughs> most agree with him, but Stan and his cronies simply sneer off to the side. Logalog challenges the young upstart. Is he for the Guosim or against? We get this whole thing with, from Scan about how... Like the Guosim is is like old fashioned and like they're 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 out of date and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. A he bunch of a old pile... fuddy duddies. Yeah, making fuddy outdated rules and regulations. I love fuddy. Like duddies. he's he's calling for them to mind the, their fucking business. Mm-hmm. Um, and on one hand, I understand mm-hmm. because. This is a dangerous situation, but also Scan is written to just sound like the worst person on the planet. <laughs> I feel like it is interesting because, like, you don't, you so often in these stories, you see the Guosims, they like to fight amongst themselves, but it's the kind of fighting that is, if not constructive, it's good natured. I don't know how else to describe it, but like when you really trust someone in your family, you can quarrel and bicker, but you're not really angry at each other. Scan comes along and he's kind of showing what, like, real distrust or fracturing within the group looks like. Like, this is someone you can't trust. This is someone who doesn't want to be trusted because he wants to be in control. He's too smart. He's too cool for this. Um, I don't want to do what all the old men do. I'm a cool, smart, strong, young kid. I'm going to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why should I go die for your stupid rules? Yeah, and there is, I want to say this, coming from, like, I've started getting more into, like, union stuff mm-hmm. myself, like, in real life, because um, mm-hmm. I'm part of the IWW, uh, and I'm part of, like, the local branch here in my city. Um, join the IWW, uh, like, you can join it even if you don't have a traditional job. There isn't Artists one in Wyoming. Can... <laughs> there may not be a branch, but you can still join, and you can join online meetings with other branches. True. I think the nearest one is down in Denver. Anyway. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but, you know, it still helps, and people can and will come to you. Yes. We have people from our branch who go all over the fucking state and into Tennessee. Okay. So. Anyway. anyway um, holding out unrelated the... oh. to any of this. 
Sorry, I was looking because I have my book in my hand and I have it like closed with my finger on the page we're on. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the back because we have the the. Do we have the same copy? Yeah, it's the one with like the blue and purple border, and it's got um, Slagar. It's the with manuscript the full mask. cover. No, I don't have the manuscript. No, cover. you you have the like creepy cover. The one with Slagar with his full mask cover, yeah, and then, like yeah, yeah. little You've like the, actual the... just a whole mouse with his little hands in handcuffs. Yeah, I have. Um... My, my, my brain just fucking my... broke for a second. I have the manuscript cover. Okay. Like the stylized, like illuminated manuscript. I was mm. looking at the back of it, and first of all, this book was five dollars and fifty cents back in the day. Wow, mine was six ninety nine back in the day. Inflation. Because yours is a more recent uh, edition, right? But this is one. This is like one of the first uh, cover editions that went out. I think this might have been the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the second run. It was five fifty. Also, in the little like thing on the back where it does the the su- the book summary. In the magnificent tradition of Watership Down, <laughs> the no. tale of courageous adventure from no. the author of Redwall and Mossflower. Redwall is nowhere. No, the only thing they share similar is that the animals talk. They are two completely different series tonally. <laughs> if you sent a Redwall kid to read Watership Down without warning, oh, that kid would be oh. messed up. I, I have a copy of Watership Down sitting in front of me. I've never read the book before. Oh, please do. Like, the book is so ever. good. No, I know. I'm gonna. I also am aware that, like, the movie is also very good. Yes. And I've never seen that either. I've only seen, like, GIFs of it online. The movie's um, very good. It is brutal, though. Like, I will warn you. They yes, don't shy yes, away from no, it. No. I know. I could never find a copy of it. Oh, and my gosh. one friend who had a copy would never give anybody his copy. He was like, I will kill you over this book. That's fair. You know. <laughs> anyway. Back Anyways, to... Yeah, sorry. Just just had to, like, point that out as I was, like, I noticed it. And I was like, huh, man, economy suck. Economy bad. Um. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Unions. So... What I was talking about before when I was <laughs> saying, like, part of the IWW. I'm sorry. It's too early to get on tangents like this. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, like, I understand what's happening here because this happens in unions a lot. Where somebody, and especially, like, older members of unions in real life, not in the book, but in real life, tend to have very outdated ideas about what should be happening and how things should work. We're actually struggling with that in the IWW right now. I am not at liberty to say anything about it. Because I don't know all the information, and I am not a uh, like elected officer. I am just a member. I am a, a wobbly, as they are referred to. But this happens, and what usually happens is you'll get an election. They'll call for like a referendum or something, and call the person who like the young like the younger person like is calling an older officer out on something, and they'll hold like a referendum or a trial, depending on what it is. So this is similar to that, except Logalog is asking the kid to fight him. Yeah, like a <laughs> Like, you physical... gonna take this from me? Yeah. Because Logalog holds out the talking stone and calls his bluff. Will the kid fight him? Will he knock the stone from his hand? And it's described as um, Logalog... The shrew leader stood in front of the young rebel, holding out the stone for all to see. He looked relaxed, though his whole body was tensed like a steel spring. Scan stood half a head taller than Logalog. For a moment, it looked as if he were about to do something. 
Then he saw the light of battle in the shrew leader's eyes, and his nerve failed him. He turned away. Logalog should not be fucked with ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, basically, he poses, not Logalog, I'm sorry, but Scan poses for a moment more, kind of blusters, gathers up his rebels, and wanders out into the night. So it it ends without a physical conflict. Um, and the loyal Guosum breathe a sigh of relief and relax back into general chatter. Like the mood has broken, the, the tension is gone, things can go back to normal for them. Um, Orlando compliments Logalog quietly, only so Matthias could hear, because he also asks if he could have taken the younger, bigger shrew. Oh, I'm sorry, he compliments Logalog to Matthias, like they're talking to each other. Logalog doesn't mm-hmm. know this, I worded that poorly. And Matthias affirms his friend's strength and cunning. He would have won. So then Logalog... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like bros. They're bros. I love it. Um, Logalog, Brosifs. <laughs> Logalog apologizes for the dust-up and promises he and his shrews will aid them in finding the fox. They know Slagar is moving south, having already cut across his trail several times. At the sleeping slaver camp, Slagar slips away to the base of the cliff. Twirling his bolo until it makes a sharp cracking noise, he hears an answering crack above. Two rope ladders descend, and Slagar tests to make sure they are secured. Smiling under his mask, he returns to camp to sleep the rest of the peaceful night away. Honestly, that bolo thing where he's like swirling it so it clack, 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 it just made me think of the clacker toys we used to have as kids. Mom and dad grew up with the actual yeah, metal God. ones that got banned. <laughs> and we ended up with the shitty plastic ones or the wooden ones that hurt like shit. Mm-hmm. No, I only ever got the plastic ones, even though my grandparents had other toys that were probably uh, like banned as all hell. <laughs> like they had like I some... had wooden ones at one point and kept like smacking myself in the face with it. Why Why would you do this to yourself? You have no one to blame I'm but yourself. I'm stupid. <laughs> no, no, hey, don't talk about yourself like that. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> All right. So opening up to the next chapter, now we get the payoff for the mysterious bird. Bird. Um, bird. General Ironbeak, a great raven, is introduced to us. He has a flock of crows, magpies, and rooks following him. And they are basking in the warm summer sun. We learn he is a canny, successful commander. He's led his army down from the north, and the sheer abundance in moss flower blows them away. And here's where it's like we're, we're bringing back that statement of, like, evil from the north, misery from the south, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And here is the evil coming down from the north. For some reason, moss flower exists in this perfect, ideal center where nothing bad ever happens. It is literally Eden, is why. is what That's what it is. Um bad writing is what it is <laughs> am we, i wrong you're not wrong no um <laughs> it's I, I think it's less bad writing and more like he's leaning too heavily on myths and tropes without really thinking about what he's writing which actually yes that is still bad writing anyway he has a seer a crow named mangiz Ironbeak almost always consults him before making decisions but with quickbill the magpie reporting on redwall's state the night before He's ready to move. We learn it's Mangiz who told Ironbeak of Redwall. He is confident it'll be easy for them to take Redwall as their own. The sparrows are gone, and the Redwallers who remain are far from being warriors in their eyes. They hear the bells. Yeah, we... 
Sorry, go ahead. We get, like, throughout the next bits, I just, we get, like, Mangas talking about Redwall. And I was sitting there while I was reading it, like, this is all shit he could have learned just flying over Redwall. Mm-hmm. How is he, like, seeing this as a seer, like, in his brain as a vision? Like, they never explicitly state it, but, like, we do learn that he does, like, actively see visions. Yeah, but in this first bit, it's like, does he? Like, Brian makes you doubt it, like, that he's just, like... Oh, yeah, that he's just pulling the wool over his eyes kind of a thing. Yeah, he's a worm tongue. Yeah. (laughs) Am I... (laughs) Boo! Boo! (laughs) Although, to be fair, I do... Anyway, you've earned that. You have earned that. I admit it. (laughs) (laughs) They hear the bell tolling, and Ironbeak takes it as a good omen. He's only ever heard one bell before this, from a ship sinking in the cold northern waters. And there's two notes in this little sentence here. I I find it interesting how, like, so often in historical, like, m- not myths or legends, but like historical records, you hear about, like, a meteor or an eclipse or a comet. And it's so fun to see how different cultures, how different situations, how different rulers will interpret those. Ooh, I can put a whole voice going kind of crazy there. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> They will interpret those in different ways. Like, sometimes it's like, oh, this is clearly a good omen of the gods favoring us. More often than not, it's like, oh, this is a bad omen of we are in for bad times. And I find it interesting that Ironbeak is so eager to take everything as a good omen. He's like, no, we will take this place. It will be easy. And this will be our new home, our new haven. The Red House is what they keep calling it. Yes. The Redstone House mm-hmm. instead of Redwall because they don't know what it's actually called. Yeah, but I mean, they're right about it being red, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kid has more notes about this part of the book than I do because I was like sucked into it because the way that this whole like section of the book is written is it moves in a well paced manner it does. that I just kind of I had to pull myself away from this part of the from this part of the book to be able to write any kind of notes and even then they're very sparse Mm -hmm. meanwhile i like in later parts of the book i'd be reading and i'd start like thinking about something it's like oh i should make a note on that you know like i had to remind (laughs) myself like oh i'm thinking about it i need to take a note anyway he asks mangiz what that name mangiz i keep like it's like mangizard mangiz 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 maybe it's mangiz 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 oh mangiz would probably be better Mangies, what else he knows of Redwall? It is a place of plenty with fruit and fishes that could feed the whole north, he says in reply. Fish. Ironbeak sends the three magpie brothers to go spy to tell them when the sparrows are gone. While they spy, the rest settle in for a break in the warm sun. Ironbeak is impatient, but Mangies soothes him. Redwall wasn't built to protect from flatted attackers. Soon it will be theirs. And they're not, and they're not wrong. Yeah. They're not wrong about that. They really aren't. And part of me really likes that Brian is pointing this out and using it as a plot point. I just, I really wish, I feel that this whole situation with the birds would have been better as its own book. But I there also... There are a lot of B-plots happening in this book. Yeah, and I feel like this is one that should have been taken out and made into its own book. 
Because okay, so we've got the A plot is with the the kids who have been captured, right? Mm-hmm. That's the A plot. Mm-hmm. B plot is the parents going after them. Mm-hmm. This is the C plot. Mm-hmm. And it's like we really don't need what? we really don't need it because like the the red red wall has played its part, and a little part of me is like it's okay, Brian, if you just want to let the red wallers hold down the fort. Like they don't always need to be relevant. But I also feel that he he drops that a little more in later books where Redwall is allowed to kind of like fade into the background as the the anchor point for the plot to return back to at the end. Whereas Mm -hmm. in these earlier books, it's like it's about Redwall. It has to still be involved in one way or another. But I also feel like the birds are done a disservice. But also, you know, if if the Martin and Co or Matthias and Co, same same person, basically, also also had been there. Fucking what 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 i'm i'm mad i'm mad about how the sparrow are treated in this in this book it's like Like it starts good and then gets bad again because they the way that mangus says it he says like all of the sparrow are leaving and i'm like why would warbeak not leave some birds behind and take all of them they only have 12 copies I feel like of this thing. I feel they, like it's because she thinks Redwall is safe, so she doesn't mind. Like, like the more searchers they have, like the easier it will be to find each other. Because, like, if they're out searching along an arc, maybe, like, say somebody on the far south finds them, they can go like, "Hey, whoever's got a scroll, come down here quick. I found them." Kind of a thing. Yeah, is what I think is going on anyway. Um, she's I'm still just. It, I don't know. It doesn't make sense in a in a in a way. Like it's one of those things that Brian doesn't expect people to really think about. I think he just expects you to take it for granted that all the warriors are gone. Because if you do, then his whole C plot doesn't work. If you think about it, like all the sparrows being gone, <laughs> it doesn't. Oh work. no, we thought about it, and now the C plot is broken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's bad writing, Brian. Broken. Um, <laughs> oh no, our table, it's broken. Back at the Abbey, we see everyone giving the sparrows a boisterous farewell. Twelve copies are being sent out, and Warbeak promises they will find them. John and Brother Sedge are worn to the bone, having spent all night copying things out for the sparrows to carry. John thinks he spots a magpie, but a sleepy Sedge says he's just tired. No magpie has been recorded in Mossflower. And yes, I know they have good records, but I still think it was strange that John knows what a magpie looks like. Art. I know. Artwork. Art. Uh, have you seen medieval art? You know, yes. You know how bad medieval art is. Yes. So, like, I saw a TikTok this today means where nothing. a bee was drawn as, like, a weird little bird thing. It's like, it's a bee. Have you never actually looked at a bee in your life, sir? Yeah. Anyway. Then again, they were going they were going off of Pliny, the elder's description, and Pliny was a terrible. Uh, the father She's and... bad at describing everything. Father of history and the father of lies. Anyway. <laughs> no, that's literally what they call him. Um... <laughs> But it was a magpie, and the three brothers wing their way back to Ironbeak. That same morning, we see the rescuers making their way south. They spot the cliffs, Orlando asking if they could be a cloud bank or a land rise. 
Logalog thinks they may be the Great South Cliffs, but he and his crew have never been this far north. They only stop for a quick meal before moving onwards. Also, you can tell I lost I lost patience writing out Logalog every time now, so he's LAL in the documents lol. now. He's lol now. Lol. Um, also, like, allow me a small moment of snark, but for people who are chasing after the lost children, they take a lot of breaks. Like, it, the urgency seems to have decreased to me. Like, they take so many breaks to stop and eat. Like, oh, well, we need to stop and eat. And it's just, I don't know. It bugs me every time. He's just like, oh, and well, then they stop to eat. It's just like, I know they need to eat so, to keep their strength, but they're going after their children. You'd think they would be more urgent. There are more of them. Yeah. And not all of them, like, the Goosem are all fantastic, but not all of them are warrior warriors. That's The same true. way that, like, Orlando and Matthias and Jess and Basil are. Yeah, you've got cooks now and, you know, mm -hmm. probably like carpenters or people who can help take care of uh, weaponry, things like that. Anyway. You've got normal ass people yeah. who do need to take more breaks because their endurance is not the same. Mm -hmm. They need these people to help because they are still outnumbered by the slavers. Right. But it does. But they can't move at that same we don't give a shit about ourselves pace right. because they give a shit about other people. Right. Cheek they could carry. Yeah. He's little. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Slagar, Slagar starts the climb up. That's a little tongue twister. Why did I do that to myself? I don't know why you did that to yourself. Up the rope ladders, sending half his crew ahead, the other half behind. Maddie is pretty solidly in the middle of his friends as they climb. He tries to keep slack for Tess and Cynthia below him, and Alma above acts the champion, and not complaining when young Jube keeps slipping and kicking the top of her head. Just, she's such a good big sister. It's like she's the big sister type, and I love her because she doesn't give him a hard time. Because, like, you know if that was Matameo, he'd be absolutely litting into Jube. Like, come on, kid, get your foot on the ladder, you know. Although he has, like, started behaving better ever since the last act. Um, yeah. Sam. Better or traumatized? Yeah. Traumatized. <laughs> yeah. Sam, the top climber, finds the heights dizzying even as a squirrel, which is ironic considering what happens later in this book. Um, by I think it's one thing if you can see the ground. Yeah. It's like that don't And look another down. if you can't. Because, like, you can still see the ground. You can see everything get, like... The, the distance fog effect. Mm -hmm. Everything gets blurrier, harder to distinguish from each other. Things like that. And so cliffs are really tall. Mm -hmm. And anybody looking down, even somebody who is a squirrel would be like, oh god. <laughs> Whereas later on, they can't see the bottom. Which and it, yeah. they're not... They're not going up. They're going forward. It's a lot easier to not feel the urge to look down when you're going forward. Yeah. Okay. Uh, by mid-afternoon, they reach the top and meet the stone-colored silent rat named Stonefleck. He asks for Slagar and then speaks no more, simply sitting and waiting for the fox. The captives catch their breath and Tess looks over the green sprawl of moss flower, hoping to see her home, even if she knows it is too far away. She thinks of her parents, who should be sitting down to tea, and wipes away a tear of homesickness. Just a... Should be sitting down to tea. Right. 
it is just a nice little moment. A set, nice, babies. sad little moment. Yeah, like it, it, it's a little moments like that that remind you that these are little kids. Um, when Slagar arrives, Stonefleck asks if this is all he brought. Slagar says it is enough. They are all young and strong. If he wants more, he can go down and get them himself. He then calls Wedge back over to him and grabs the stoat's belly, digging in his claws and dragging him so close they're nose to nose. Slagar begins to scold him for letting the captives escape. Wedgeback tries a stuttering defense, but is shushed. Slagar is quite upset. Wedgeback knew how hard they'd worked for those captives, and the minute Slagar was gone, he let them escape. While lecturing, he slowly turns the stoat so his back is facing the cliff. With a last exchange of words, he gently shoves Wedgeback over the cliff, sending him to his death. Like, he, he specifically says, uh, there's no room in my band for blunderers, Wedgeback. You'll have to go. Wedgeback's eyes rolled wildly. I'll go, Slagar. I promise I'll never come back again. Please don't hurt me. Just let me go. As you wish, my friend. Goodbye. And just whoop, right off the edge of the cliff. It's like such a classic villain moment, too. Mm-hmm. And I put a note here that, like, it's a really good cold killing. And, but the thing is that we don't really need proof, any for the proof now about how ruthless Slagar is. And I think we needed this more for the reaction from um, Madame Mayo. That's true. Because, like, we get that little bit because I don't think that they have actually really seen Slagar just murk somebody. That's true. Because he could. That's true. So it's not for us. It is for Matameo and the others. And I do yeah. put a note, we, though, that are... it's it's really good because it shows how warped his mind, like Slagar's mind has become because he's so calm about it. Like even as he is angry and like like hissing at this this stoat, just like vicious little hissing voice. He's not even yelling. And that's the more terrifying thing is the fact that he's not yelling. He is only hissing it out. And he's yelling, but he's not yelling. Yes. Um, anyway, Maddie offers comfort to the startled girls, all of them shook by the callous killing. While checking the shattered body of Wedgeback, Stoneflex spots a band of shrews approaching. Slager calls out to them, and we learn it's Scan and his cronies. They say they have information for him, so he tells them to climb up the rope ladders. While they do, he makes plans with his crew, laughing quietly. Scan snitches on the others, alerting Slagar to the fact that the pursuers survived the cave-in. He asks Scan why he has betrayed his fellows, and Scan reveals he wants Slagar to help him get revenge on Logalog. Predictably, Slagar betrays him. He has no reason to fight. With the ladders pulled up, none can follow, and he has no need for traitors in his crew, so the shrews are disarmed and forced into the slave line. Like, what did the little idiot think was going to happen? He was just going to come up and Slagar was going to be like, oh yeah, sure, let's go beat up Logalog. I totally want to do that. I think some of it may have been expecting like, oh, we're not children. They're not going to take us. Yeah. No, you dumb shit. You're young enough and you're strong enough. Of course he's going to swipe you. Um, Also not going to trust you. Um... Alma pins Scan with one paw and demands he tell her, tell them if their parents live. He confirms this. One good thing is the kids now know their parents and friends are alive. I 
have a little bit of an issue with this because literally it, it, it hasn't even been that many chapters since they found out like since they thought they were dead i think in time in universe though hasn't it been about like at least three days that's still not very long for, like well when you think your parent has died that is long. well yes okay but i mean from like I don't know. I feel like this takes some of the wind out of the sails of Maddie's uh, threat to Slagar. I suppose so, but at the same time, I understand why he did it. Because the kids are already so dispirited as is that getting this information, it's it's something that'll give the kids more hope to keep going. Like, yeah, they were trying to stay alive, but now they've got a reason to stay alive again. Other Besides than- just killing exactly slagar and spite it it, it kind of gives the kids a chance to be like we can still like they can't be kids anymore but they still have hope of rescue it's 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 like seeing a spring when you're in the desert it's like you have that hope to keep you going forward that 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 thing that will keep your hope your heart going yeah although i want to say as we as we keep moving through these chapters the art went from being kind of unfortunate to cute it does like they do a really good job of like i like a lot of the art in this section of the book like little baby rollo at the top of this next chapter is yeah like, i think it's because he's allowed to have like a proper shrew face you know like he isn't his face isn't like weirdly flattened Squished. yeah and speaking of baby rollo we <laughs> return to the abbey at evening time and everything is peaceful as usual. Everyone gathers to eat, ignorant of a murder done that day. With the moles being the MVPs. Murder. Child Moida. But the moles are being like the MVPs as usual, making some of their deeper and ever turnip and tater, or t- tater and turnip, turnip and beetroot deeper and ever pie. You see why I always struggle to remember the name of that pie? Yes. Oh, no. But I want to eat it. <laughs> I definitely, yeah. Um, that noon, Ironbeak and his army had killed whatever old and young sparrows were left in the eaves of the abbey. Which is a huge cultural loss. Like, no wonder the sparrows just finally bug out of this place later on. Like, yeesh. Um, the cultural trauma that's got to be here now. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially considering what uh, stereotype they're based off of makes it even worse. Uh, Ironbeak tells all his crew to be quiet. The abbey isn't theirs yet, so they must wait for nightfall. Mangiz is disturbed. His ability to scry is being blocked by Martin, though he doesn't know that's who it is. And I make a straight note that like this is the first bit of proof we get that this bird can just get visions of things. Because Spurt just gets magic. Yeah, he just gets magic visions. But Martin is also blocking his vision. And, like, I've mentioned it before that the world of Redwall has that kind of nebulous magic that's not overt. It's not something that you can really control all that much yourself. But it's there. It's still important. And I kind of like that we get a seer who can actually finally, like, see instead of just being a charlatan (laughs) or using really bad Roma stereotypes you know this is still some of it is still eh, but it's not as obvious yeah it falls more into like straight fantasy territory I feel like um 
Anyway, it's being blocked by Martin. Da -da 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 -da. Um, let's see. Ironbeak tries to spin it. That maybe it may be a good omen. Mangus isn't so confident that it is. And I I put a note here that, buddy, it's your fault they all came south to begin with. Don't turn chicken now. Um, <laughs> but also, it's like, Ironbeak, sir, how is a mouse in armor not allowing your seer to see a good omen, sir? I really, like, I, under, I, I appreciate your optimism here, but it really don't work that way. So... Down below the crows and ravens, Rolo is refusing to go to bed and has to be bribed with lullabies from Cornflower, Sister May, and Mrs. Churchmouse. Like, he's being an absolute menace. Um, he is a, such a little menace because he's, he's a baby. He's a baby. He's, a baby. He's, he's allowed to be a little menace. Yes. Well, the three girls sing him lullabies and he plays at sleep. The three ladies leave him alone. Quick as a flash, he's back outside the dormitory. Like, this starts out so cute. Like, he leaves the door, shuts the door, and the one of their sisters yells, Oh, that little... I think she yells, like, Oh, that little villain. Mercy me, the little rogue has escaped. Yes, there quickly. And the sisters see him heading up a set of stairs. They are too late to warn him. A large raven grabs him by his nightshirt and yanks him out of sight. And like if, nightmarish, exactly. nightmarish imagery, terrifying because like it's already dark. Ravens are dark. You just see this large thing grab this kid and yank him out of sight. This baby, and like Rollo's gonna have that's some... that's a horror movie. That this is this is this is a scene in a horror movie. Straight like, up, holy shit! Going from cute and innocent to that t this terrible thing happening. Um. And, like, Rolo's gonna have some deep trauma as an adult. I'm just calling it now. If this kid comes out of this untraumatized, I am going to fight somebody, because... <laughs> mm. Anyway. Matthias and company reach the cliffs. While the shrews do their usual squabbling, Matthias, Orlando, and Basil ponder the cliffs. See? I got it right the first time. Are you proud of me? Um... <laughs> Basil confirms they did climb the cliffs. He found the body of Wedgeback. He also found Scan's tracks and figures Slagar knows they are alive and coming for the kids. Matthias say, says one way or another they have to scale those cliffs. But that's for the next morning. Slagar... I need to give myself more breaks. Slagar warns... We cut to Slagar and... The kids. Yes. He warns them that night they must run swiftly and silently or they will all be dead. The kids are puzzled at how the slavers are suddenly being helpful, carrying the chains and running beside them. When Jube wonders loudly at the forest ahead of them, Dry knows the weasel begs him to be quiet or they will all be killed. If we keep getting this repetition, yet be quiet or you will die. It's a good, it's a good repetition. Like this little bit here of repeating the silence is necessity is a nice little bit of writing. Once inside the forest, they find an odd, old, and dreary... Oh, they find it is an odd, old, and dreary place. Maddie and Alma spot skeletons hanging in branches above them. Tess is deeply spooked and finds comfort in being close to Maddie and hearing his whispered confidence that they will get out alive. My brain was like, 
wanted to say gay and it's like no that's hetero <laughs> i mean it could be they could both be bi <laughs> we don't know that and this this is brian we're talking about and also they are children so um, yes i just whenever something like <laughs> like that happens it's the automatic reaction of my gay. brain to go that's gay yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking like meme from forever ago of the <laughs> seal going gay <laughs> How to how to show the internet that we are old internet users? Uh. Gay. <laughs> Just also listen. I am gay, and I have. This is my joke. I'm I am not, allowed to make it's it. It's fine. No, I'm not doing this at you. I'm not doing this at you. This is at the audience. Yes, it is my joke. I am allowed to make this joke. <laughs> Just as they see the edge of the forest, a stoat gets a branch in the eye and howls in pain. Slayar sprints for it, yelling, to the shore, to the shore. The trees above them come to life with a cacophony of terrifying sounds. The slaves do their best to run together, but find themselves set upon by vicious creatures. Even with the valiant effort of Alma, Scan is killed by whatever strange creatures live above. They manage to escape the forest, diving into a covered trench protected by Slagar and his slavers. We learned two of the Moida. <laughs> we learned two of the slavers died, and when asked what the things in the trees are, Stonefuck only says the painted ones. The kids will have Which is the night so fucking ominous. Right. The kids will have the night to rest. At least Stonefuck's allies won't be ready for the crossing until tomorrow. Um, see, I, I, I really like this portion. Like this middle section of the book has a really good pacing of. The kids encounter a danger. We know the danger is coming, but their parents and rescuers don't. And it's that building of tension of us knowing that this bad thing is there, but no one can warn the adults that really helps drive this portion of the book along. I really do like that part of the, the writing. Yeah, and it's, it's, they encounter some of the dangers, but also some of them only get alluded to. Mm -hmm. Like, they have to cross the river at night. Right. They can't cross it during the day. And we're not told why. They just, that's how it's done. Yeah. Which is a really great, like, ah, there's something in the water or about the water that is dangerous. Yeah. Um, as Baby Rollo is being shaken by the raven... The mouse ladies are frozen, except Sister May, who leaps to grab Rollo and bites the raven's foot clean to the bone. It lets them both escape, and they all scamper, calling out the alarm. Strangers in the Abbey. Constance, of course, is the one to... Scroll too far. Constance, of course, is the one to muster to the call. She begins issuing orders. Staves, torches, warn the abbot. They must find what the bird is about. They find the raven. Sound the alarm bells. Yeah. <laughs> light, the light, the, light the fires. Um, they find the raven along with a crow and six rooks. I find it funny that like he, he makes sure to tell us that there are six rooks. <laughs> Constance demands to know who they are, and Mangiz struts forward to boss her. She's having none of it and knocks him ass over tea kettle with one good swipe of her forepaw. And with, just whap. Yeah, and with that, she barrels into them in full fight mode. Like, I love how he's just like, listen here, striped dog. And she's just like, no. Whap. <laughs> Fuck a you, yeah. smank. Kick a you, scratch a you. Um, she's put upon <laughs> right away, but is rescued by her fellows. A short, furious fight follows, and the birds escape into a box room 
locking the door from the inside. She demands they leave. Ironbeak claims the Redstone house is his, and he will kill them if they do not leave. The app- he, he, he introduces himself yeah. and says that he's the greatest fighter in all the Northlands. Yeah, and the Redwall is just like, so? <laughs> this isn't the Northlands. Right. Get the fuck out. The abbot arrives, offering an apology and aid. Ironbeak reiterates his claim on Redwall, bragging of the death of the sparrows. Cornwall is not impressed, saying stronger warriors than Ironbeak have tried and failed to take Redwall. Only silence answers him. The Redwallers decide to return to Cabinhole to plan. Sister May is praised for her bravery and rather cutely and humbly take, turns the praise back. The abbot calls things to order and quickly loses the order as people lament the fact that their three canniest fighters are out looking for the kids. And... I, I love his little gripe about, like, eight years of peace and one summer of trouble. Listen, the Abbey cannot go for very long without trouble. Mm-hmm. It's how it is. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. But it's still, like, it's still very good how he's just like, ah, okay. Um, also, this whole little interaction between Sister May, like, everyone praising her. There's a little more down here that's really cute, too. Um Constance is having none of it and silences the whiners. Formal asks to be excused, as he and his crew have work to do. He's allowed to go. <laughs> You're excused. Um, <laughs> I've been turned into a cow. May I please be? Ex- uh, may I please go home? You're excused. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> no, I'm good. good. I'm good. Get them. Uh, <laughs> reminds them that the missing trio would want them to take care of the issue themselves and thus reminded they carry on i really like that we have this bit like yeah we the c plot is not particularly necessary but i do like that they have to prove that the abbey can take care of itself without its warriors yeah it it's it's a good way to show that they they weren't dependent on them during the war but, like, now that they have him, he's become a crutch, almost. And this is them having to learn to walk again without that crutch, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and also, like, Abbot Mordalfus does fucking know what he's doing. He learned what not to do. Mm-hmm. Like, he was there. <laughs> he survived it. They all survived it. And it was just, like, I, I think I put a little gripe later on about how, like, you, they all fought. Like, Matthias was just off fucking around in the woods for a good Do chunk not of quote the, the deep magics to me, which I was there when they were written. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Mordalfus praises Sister May, who's then teased by Ambrose that maybe she was aiming for the warrior job. Like, everything with Sister May in this whole ex- chapter paragraph is very cute. She's so flustered. Um, They do agree that they need a deputy warrior, though, and Constance is unanimously agreed upon. She has everyone sleep in Cavern Hole that night, figuring the dormitories would be too unsafe. She herself will guard the stairs that night. The littles who remain think it all good fun. I mean, like, when you're a kid, this is something unusual, of course. It's fun. Like, they don't get to sleep in the kitchen. This is so cool. They they, They get to make little tents. Out of the, like, from the table to the floor with their blankets. It's they, so they're having a grand old time. It's so cute. I love it. Um, they don't, they, they know that something is wrong, but also yeah. they're children. So, you know. It's also, like, once again, like, driving home that really good theme of, like, children are so important to the Abbey and its survival. Like, here mm-hmm. they are, like, providing the, like, they're providing the adults hope and support with just the fact that they can still play during this. 
Um, the adults figured the birds must have been watching the abbey. They couldn't have gotten in so easily had Warbeak been there. They decide it's up to them to show the birds the era of their arrogance. Back with the Corvids, Mangiz confirms Ironbeak. Mangiz? Man- it's Mangiz. I kept, I kept mistyping. I Yes. The, another peek behind the curtain for y'all. I kept mistyping Mangiz's name as Magniz because to me, Magniz sounds like a much better name than Mangiz or even, how did you pronounce it, Squirrels? Uh, Man- Mangiz. Mangiz. Yeah, like Mangiz is good, but like Magniz just seemed so much better to me that my brain was just like, we're going to fix this for Brian. It was like later on going back going, oh no, what did I do? Um, but yes, Mangiz or Mingiz. Um, Magniz. Magniz. He comforts Ironbeak. Yes, they underestimated the Redwallers, but surely tomorrow they will kill them all. He does notice Ironbeak ble- Ironbeak's bleeding toe, but the general shakes it off. It wouldn't do for his crew to know a small mouse had turned him back. And tis but a scratch, right? It's it's one. Your of arms those, off? No, it isn't. It's one of those good little respites that Brian is able to write in. Like, it's not exactly played for last, but like this humble little sister, this little mouse, is able to score upon like this vicious bird who has lived his whole life fighting. It's just, it's really charming. Have you, have you ever been bit by a mouse? Uh, no, I have been lucky to avoid that, and yes, I, I They, they, it fucking sucks to get bit by a mouse. Yeah. They bite, and they bite hard. Yeah. Those little teeth are fucking sharp. Yeah. Like, getting bit by a rat also hurts, but their teeth are not as thin and sharp. Mm-hmm. Because they're not as small, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've been bit by rats before. It it sucks. I, um, I think I have been bitten by one before, but it, but it, it wasn't like a mean bite. She, it was like one of our pet rats just being like, "Hey, you can put me down now." Just like a little nibble. I'm nibble. done. Yeah. Meh. Um, yeah. No, I've been bit. I've had the shit bit out of me. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, and it's it sucks. So like, uh, yeah. She probably could have bit his toe off if she tried hard enough. Yeah, but say. Uh, let's see, I think the only thing that probably saved him was the fact that I still believe these are close to animal size proper proportions, so that, anyway. <clears throat> At the cliffs, Matthias and company are stumped by the plateau. Basil says they'd need to grow wings to get up there. And Cheek says ladders would be better. Uh, to quote Basil, Bollywoggled, that's what we are, old lad, flummoxed. Blow me, there's no way to the top of the cliff unless we sprout wings. No, it's not flummoxed. It's flummocated. Oh, flummocated. I am sorry. Flummocated. Uh, to which I posted in the docs, phrasing basil. Basil. Phrasing. <laughs> I had to put in something there. Um, I also thought about it when uh, I read it. So <laughs> Jabez shows up with an owl in tow. Sir Harry the Muse. Matthias introduces I... his friend and Basil asks why Sir Harry is referred to as the Muse. He strikes a pose and speaks in prose, to which we have I'm gonna mm, Deus ex partica. Just first divorce, <laughs> just divorce. Second, I love him. <laughs> he is like this is definitely one of like my favorite owl characters so far. Not that we have many to pick from, but I like him a lot. He's a very good character that shows up. I want to read some of his prose. I'm not going to read all of it because he speaks in rhyme for the vast majority of this chapter, but... 
Why, pray, do you suppose? I'm a master of poetry and pose. No equal have I in field or wood. No creature, a smidgen, a fraction is good. And if you need a poet, why, here's one to choose. This owl, Sir Harry the Muse. He loves to speak in verse, and Basil and Matthias both praise him for his quick wit in rhyming. But it isn't a songster they need right now. They need someone who can help them to get to the top of the cliff. Sir Harry and immediately stops talking in prose. Yeah. Sir Harry drops the rhyming to ask if they have cake. When asked why, he says business is business and rhyming is for pleasantry. And I like this. It's it's a fun little exchange. Like the fact that he's able to be like, no, like we're talking we're talking talk right now. So Sir Harry, that's Matthias decides to be a little snarky and rhymes his answer back. Sir Harry approves, and they barter out the details. But not before Sir Harry sharply puts Basil in his place for attempting to rhyme, to which I put, get his ass, Harry. <laughs> and Basil's getting awfully abusive towards Cheek. Like, he keeps trying yeah, he to keeps smack him. Yeah, he keeps fucking smack him, and, like, stop it. And he keeps doing it. Yes. He keeps doing it. Cheek gets very good at dodging him, and I'm like, he shouldn't have to get good at dodging somebody trying to smack mm-hmm. him. Um, like, I get the I slapstick point out, part of it, but another part of me is just like, mm. Yeah. Stop hitting a kid. Mm-hmm. It'd be different if Cheek was an adult, but yeah. Cheek is a kid. Or at least a teenager. Uh, I, yeah. I really like the Sir Harry's comeback to Basil's bad rhyming <laughs> is, I beg, I implore you, sir, stick to being a hare. Now, he puts, sir, like, Brian wrote sir, but the only way to get sir and hare to rhyme is to pronounce sir as sir. Or pronounced hair which is an as her. older no, we're not going to go there. <laughs> okay. We're not going in that direction. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Because that one's bad. <laughs> yes. Sarah is actually an old way of saying the word sir. Which And tracks. it's actually gender neutral. Oh. So. Like yeah. That. Yeah. So if you're struggling to figure out if somebody is a sir or a ma'am or something else, just say Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Or find something else. There's really no good, like gender neutral uh i i usually like just titles are like yeah. respectable like res, res, words of respect like sir and ma'am uh i prefer captain i i prefer to default to sir because for me sir has become like if you're a close enough friend and i need to emphasize that you are being ridiculous i will go <laughs> sir sir that's because please. you know a lot of like dudes and trans dudes and like masculine non-binary I think, people i think i only know one cisgender dude all my other dude friends are trans <laughs> um and then there's me then there's you the being um the being <laughs> the creature you are star stuff um <laughs> they return with a shrew cake a flat white cake oozing with honey and full of dried fruits and I appreciate Brian's ability to make even simple camp food look good, like sound and look good. Another part of me is like, I want to eat it. Who was carrying the flour for this? <laughs> who, who's the uh, who's the poor shrew who has to carry all the food supplies? Um, it's probably split up amongst them, yeah. and they probably made it with like rough grain flour that they probably like quick round mm-hmm. quick ground themselves because you can do that yeah it's not as soft of a cake but because it's literally oozing with honey that doesn't matter right 
Um, Sir Harry approves and agrees to drop the ladders, to which I put in all caps, Bruh, why do you keep giving owls cakes, Brian? Why is Not this just a one consistent cake. thing? I am going to fight you, sir. And not just one cake. He gets the first cake. And then he asks, how many shrew cakes are in a batch? And they agree to make him 18 cakes. Like, owls... For him to do this very simple task. They're obligatory predators, Brian. At least let them eat insects and other, like, fish, not cakes, Brian. Why is it owls are the only predators who get a pass on this, Brian? Um... Because they're old fuddy duddies. <gasps> they are, and I a part of me they loves, gotta be they gotta be Merlin. Part of me loves that too because I was a Guardians of Gahul kid, and Twilight was <laughs> my favorite. Good old Twilight. I was so irate with what they did to him in the movie. Um. <laughs> See, I don't remember uh, the Guardians of Gahul very well, even though I think I read like at least half the series. Mm-hmm. I love the books, and I do love the movie, but I do have some choice words about character. Uh, writing decisions, but that is for a different time. The ladders are unfurled, the cakes are baked and given to Sir Harry, and the group moves on after bidding him farewell, missing his ominous prediction of doom for those who go forward, go onward. Never mind that he's so hungry and greedy that he burns his tongue on the first cake. Which, ow, 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 ow! Burns. <laughs> Yeah, the the rhyme that he says when they uh the like as they're leaving mm-hmm. that they don't hear is those that venture upward are only the brave and insane. Though I hate to predict from the path that you've picked, I doubt that we'll meet again. Yeah, it's like and especially like probably like the again pronunciation. Yes. Um, we all which I tried to do, but my mouth automatically was like no again, right? We're English. No, no, we're we're, we're American. Again. Yeah. It's like we all. I also have to remind myself that this owl is speaking in a British accent, which will influence the rhyming. Um, anyway, the moles lay a barricade near the spiral staircase. Also, I agree, Izzy. The chapter art is very cute for this one. It's like a cute mole face with little, little eyes. Again, is big old mole hand. One made up of black mole tunnel grease, rock slide burgoo mixture. Several twip wires. Twip wires. Twip wires. Twip wires. Twip wires here today. Twip wires. Twip wires. And then perish. And a catapult of a rather <laughs> vile mixture of stinky vegetables mixed with painful stones. This is like garlic and shit. Mm-hmm. It's it's gross. Mm-hmm. It sounds disgusting. Yes. They basically just put compost in this. Mm-hmm. Just the. And I'm like, uh. Yeah. Uh, outside, Constance, Ambrose, and Baby Rolo provide a distraction among, along with several volunteers. They have slingers and archers intentionally doing a terrible job at trying to hit the birds watching in the bell tower above. Many of the Corbets are highly amused, but Iron Beak is only baffled. He asks Mangus why would they waste time like this? Mangus thinks it might be anger over the death of the sparrows. Iron Oops, sorry. Ironbeak is only amused. They're too old or stupid to harm them. Only Constance is a true threat. Unbothered, Ironbeak begins to give orders. Once they're worn out, see if they can snatch a couple of hostages. Then, then the bells directly above them ring with all their might. So loud, it drives the birds away out of terrified reflex. 
cornflour and mischief. Yeah, there's like this whole this whole section of them like talking to each other and like making fun of everybody on the like abbey grounds. Like it's it's quite a few paragraphs of this. Mm-hmm. And then just the loud sound of the bells just sending them all into flight. It's very funny. Bong, boom, clang, and very clever. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, Cornflower and Mrs. Churchmouse had sprung the surprise on the feathered bullies. And I love how these two mothers, these two moms, keep getting to pull off these great smart moves. Like Cornflower, this like that this is again reinforcing why I was so confused why you hated Cornflower, because I love her in this book. Yeah, she's really good, but like in Redwall, she's bad. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, Redwall, they do her dirty. But in this book, she gets her redemption. Um, yeah. So She gets to be a person. Yes. So Ironbeak is last to leave, unable to call his crew back. While they are scattered, the distraction crew returns to the Abbey. Angry beyond reason, Ironbeak sends four, along with Mangiz, down the trapdoor to try and pick off stragglers. The birds are still a little deaf from the cacophony, and Ironbeak has to repeat his orders, along with, like, physically abusing some of his birds. Just whack, whack. That's not what I said. Um, where's the exchange? Okay. Mangiz, take four with you and see if you can pick up any lone stragglers outside. The rest of you, follow me. Get that roof trapdoor open quickly. We'll fly inside to the upper gallery and beat them to the stairs. Beat what chairs, chief? The crow had not recovered his hearing properly. Ironbeak buffeted him flat with a hefty wing blow. I said beat them to the stairs, Antbrain. Now get that trapdoor up and follow me. I just realized something. So it did actually take me a while to internalize that Ironbeak is a raven. Mm -hmm. Because ravens are never written like this. No. They're always written as being either like tricksters Mm -hmm. or like wise we don't ever get, like, this. Which is, I, I really enjoy it, because, like, ravens are big birds. Like, people never appreciate how big a raven is until, like, you actually encounter one for the first time. And it's just like, oh, that is a big bird. Hmm. <laughs> and then, like, a raven's looking at you, and then they just go, and fly off. <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> I, lo- I love raven croaks. They're so cute. And they're, They're very good. Uh, so it's like it's super interesting to see this because also like Ironbeak is very very clever mm-hmm. like ravens are but also ravens are very clever ravens are also very stupid they are <laughs> they like to play they're big idiots they do ravens and crows are both very very clever and also very very stupid and in the same way that I say kids are really smart and also really stupid <laughs> It's very good. Like, just everything about this whole exchange is very enjoyable. Um, yeah. This part of the book, like, as much as we're like, this C-plot should have been its own thing, it is very enjoyable It's probably, like, one of the, it's like, that's another reason I feel like this could have been its own book, because it's so easy to read this portion. But what would the, what, what would they have done with the warrior? Exactly. That's why he put it here, because he'd had to have gotten... Well, you know what they'd have this done with him. Like they'd have sent him off on another riddle quest is what they'd have done. Because <laughs> this this feels like Brian had the idea for a book and was like, I don't know 
there's not enough here for me to make this a book. I know, C-plot. Yeah, so I'm glad we got it either way. It really is an enjoyable C-plot for what it is. Um, Constance runs into the abbot, and they both realize they don't know who pulled off the trick with the bells, but they're happy they did. They reach the barrier just as Ironbeak and his crew do as well. They hit the trap the moles set beak first and end up in a huge, messy jumble. To which I also put the note, like, this is Brian doing a really good job of breaking the tension again. Like, the Red Wallers are not militant, but they are intelligent. And they are using that intelligence really well in this whole sequence. Mm-hmm. Like, setting up the traps, using the place that they know so well. It's all very good. Very well set up. Um... The Redwallers give back the mockery they'd gotten earlier, and Formal launches the smelly mess at the birds quite happily. It works a treat, covering Ironbeak and his crew in a foul mess. They retreat up the steps, Ironbeak spitting threats the whole way. The defenders are unimpressed and send him on his way with one last insult. The same one that kind of had us going, mm, with the last book. Uh, yep. Yeah. We continue to get out old, outdated, racist slurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Back with the kid. And it comes up multiple times. Twice in this sequence. There's the it, first time it, in here. In this and... so far, Rolo says it because, you know, he's a baby and parroting up things. He's parroting people and he says it and I'm just like, no. You talk a baby a slur, yeah. <laughs> don't teach the baby slurs <laughs> um such a dumb thing to get hung up on but it's like no it's not it's it's it's, it's that's part of why we're here um it's just as every one like he just it comes up just every so often just this one thing and you're like oh right he was an old white dude mm-hmm. that pretty, pretty much who wrote these books in like the 70s mm-hmm. And it was like, I'm going to use racist language that I definitely know is racist, but I'm still going to use it anyway because it's the 70s. <laughs> because I don't give a shit. And we're still trying to, to integrate schools. <laughs> 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 Listen. Okay. No, you're fine. You're fine. I fucking... My, my little tangent, because I just... I want to tell you this before I forget later. I saw a TikTok... Of somebody bringing up a theory about why, like, old, like, boomer uh, white people don't want critical race theory taught in schools. And one, it's the racism. But two, they don't want their children to see their pictures mm-hmm. in the books. Oh, no. From them throwing rocks and hurling insults and fighting, like, black children. Yeah, that's actually a sad kind of good point uh-huh yeah so you know <laughs> that's a thing uh because they're not wrong no no there are people who like the photos that we that are more commonly shown around there are definitely people who can point and be like that's my grandma mm-hmm. you know yeah it's one of those things because those people are related to other people they don't just exist in a vacuum it's the same way martin luther king's daughter is still alive mm-hmm. Oh no, my mom. My mom uh, has told me stories of like she grew up in uh, Minnesota in Minneapolis, so like mm-hmm. there already wasn't a lot of black people in the area she grew up in. Um, 
But like one time when she was walking down the street with her mom, this black man was just walking down the street and this was sixties. And the guy saw them coming and walked to the other side of the street because he didn't want to get in trouble for walking past a white woman and her kid. Yep. You know, in the sixties. So it's like, this is not that far long back, you know? No. And people like, People of color, not just black people, mm-hmm. but more black people than us, but people of color in general, still do this because white women are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Very much so. They are very, very dangerous because, yes, white men are dangerous, but you know the kind of dangerous that they are, and it's usually physical. Mm-hmm. White women weaponize themselves. Mm-hmm. To get everybody else around them against you. Mm-hmm. And, like, I have never done anything to the extreme of, like, racist Karen levels, but in the past, before unlearning shit, and I'm still unlearning shit, I have weaponized myself because I was an idiot who didn't didn't fully understand what I was doing and also didn't fully understand the consequences of my actions. Uh-huh. And also, you know, had severe racial biases because as a white person. Uh-huh. Now I'm trying really, really hard <laughs> to like not do that shit. Cause it's bad. It's bad. Uh-huh. So just Brian, I'm going to... I literally messaged Kit when this, like, I think it was when I read was, this. I messaged yes. Kit. Uh, let's... What did I say specifically? Summons him back from the grave to ask to beat him up. Yeah. Uses, uses a Ouija board to summon Brian Jakes and shake the racism out of him. <laughs> I'm very tired of this. And we're only three books in. Yay. Yeah, we're only three books in. And it doesn't... There's a whole other moment in this part of the book. We're not even done with this book. And honestly, the next part is worse. Yep. And we're getting there. We're almost there. (laughs) Back with... So... Back with the kids, speaking of. The day passes hot and miserable. Slagar asks Stonefleck why they didn't try to cross. And Stonefleck says to cross during the day means death. They will cross in the evening. Matameo sleeps restlessly, dreaming of the dark forest they've narrowly escaped. Speaking of said forest, the rescuers don't like the look of the place. Jess and Jabez... I wouldn't either. Jess... Dark... This is is a pine barren, basically, Mm -hmm. and pine barrens are terrifying. I don't know if you've ever been in, like, old stands of pine trees that are so... Like, their, their canopies are so thick that you can't see a lot of light through them they are terrifying mm-hmm. i hate being in pine forests <laughs> Je- it is the worst jess and jabez dislike it greatly and it's planned that they'll have a quick noon meal then a straight march through ignorant of the need for silence one true oh one true yelps when they see a skeleton annoyed orlando says that can't hurt the shrew they're dead Slamming his axe into the tree, it sends a shower of bones down. It alerts the creatures in the trees who kill several shoe- shrews and manage to get Cheek, 
despite a slung stone from Logalog. Wow, I'm having trouble reading this all of a sudden. Yeah, there was a dead... uh, So Orlando, like, cracks his axe into a tree and says, Dead bones never harmed any beast. Now get marching. And then suddenly a series of ear-splitting screams pierced the stillness, and the trees about them began shaking as if moved by a mighty wind. Mm -hmm. And they're being like, uh, lances are being thrown at them. Cheek gets hauled up by a noose around his middle. Mm -hmm. And like, it is utter chaos in this next scene. Like, it goes. It just goes. This is a fight scene. This is what Brian is good at writing. Mm -hmm. And it goes. And they see the creatures attacking him are thin, small creatures painted in vegetable dyes, dark greens, and so on. Jess is asked if she can talk to them, but she says they're just savages. No language at all. Like, they shriek and chitter and stuff at them at each other. Which is... I wanna Google something really quick. <laughs> I'll... I want... I... You wanna? Hold on. You wanna wanna? Do-do-do. Okay, nope. So, I'm trying to figure out what they are, because it's, like, they could be squirrels, but I was like, are they chipmunks? Chipmunks were not properly introduced to the UK until the 1970s. I feel that Uh, they are squirrels because of Jess's reaction later on. And the fact that everyone's like, they're tree climbers, can you talk to them, Jess? Basically, it's, it's very heavily implied that these are squirrels of some kind. I'm looking up native small tree climbing animals in the UK. Mammals. Badger, bankfold, barbastill bat, beaver, Beckstein's bat, Brant's bat, brown monkey. There's a lot of bats. Deer, field vole, fox, gray squirrel, hazel dormouse, hedgehog, more bats, lynx. Anyway, while squirrels uh, is looking that I up. didn't know Muntjacks got introduced to the wild to the wilds of the UK. Jesus. What did? Muntjack deer. Oh. The little fanged deer, those are the ones that my fursona oh, are based yeah. off of. They, there's also um, a native population of wallabies. <laughs> or not yeah, native, but they, they, wild. Yeah, the Muntjack are an invasive mm. otters, pine martins, red squirrels, roe deer, which are a native the Scottish wildcat. I really do think it's a case that these are just squirrels who are being played up as like the wild savages. Um, they um, also, I'm going to keep reading while Izzy is looking. They know running would be fatal. There's hundreds of them above them and they still have to rescue Cheek who's blubbering in terror and begging for ba- Basil to rescue him. This part's actually really sad because he's just a kid and he's like, like Basil help. He's baby he's not baby but he's baby and the hare is frantic in his own right trying to get to the child like as much as the two bicker and tease each other basil is absolutely ride or die to protect this kid um jess goes into a berserker rage and borrows matthias's sword to fight the one she thinks is the leader and i think it's kind of cool to see jess going a little battle mad here because like in the series so far the squirrels have been primarily uh, archers, long distance, um, not really hand-to-hand combat. And then here we see her like, I am going to go fuck him up. Give me the sword. Um, And up she goes into the tree just to to take this guy out. Um, 
Also, you put a good note here of which I 100% agree where... Yeah, the the savage tribe of cannibals thing, I'm very tired of it. It was a tired trope when Brian wrote this, and it is a tired trope now because it is severely racist. And the way that we are supposed to read these people, like the painted ones, as monsters and things and not as another race of people in this world is extremely gross because these are people in this world but the way that they are presented to children because these are yet again as we should remind everybody children's books mm -hmm. these are monsters not people that is how they are written that is how they are presented let's see here here it is people amid the rain of javelins the hiss that hissed down the stones that whizzed up in their pines jess squirrel's teeth began to chatter madly her eyes grew red with battle rage and she, or battle light, and she was far bigger than any of the strange attackers. Savages, cannibals, tree freaks, she shouted. Like, it's just, you know. It's bad. It's bad. Mm -hmm. It's super duper bad. Like the, the repetition, uh, repetition, repetition that they don't have language. They're too savage to have a language, but they clearly do have a language to each other. It's the chatters and, and squeaks and stuff. Which is a direct insult to a lot of African languages, which do not use words like we do. They'll use like a lot of like the clicks, the pops, the whistles, like really intricate, beautiful languages that are much more use of the tongue and less of the throat kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. So they are probably red squirrels. Mm-hmm. So I looked because I was like, because I thought that uh, Jess was a red squirrel, um, but I think that Brian just kind of defaults to squirrels being like a ruddy brown color mm -hmm. um, in general. <laughs> so they're like both, but not. Red squirrels are smaller than gray squirrels. Red squirrels are also more aggressive. Because mm -hmm. they're, so. they're the ones who'll stare at you and just go, tick, 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 just like chitter at you. Basically, again, the shrieks and the chitters. Um, yeah. She moves like a slung javelin. Jav javelin. <laughs> <laughs> she moves like a slung javelin, slaying and scattering the cannibalistic squirrels. We assume that's what they are. Ahead of her, grabbing the leader and holding him hostage. The fighting stops. They're in a standoff. No way to communicate, no way to negotiate. But they plan to try. Cheek for their leader. And after that, Matthias has a plan. The pantomime works. Cheek is freed and the plan is revealed. Fire. They threaten to burn the trees and the clan retreats. Which, um, small side note here, this is suicidal. This is a straight-up suicidal plan because this is a pine tree. This is a pine barren, an yep. old pine barren with pine needles on the floor it's, and trees full of pine sap. This is suicidal. It's the middle of summer. It, so here's the thing. For those of you who don't know a lot about pine trees, because there are places in the world where there aren't as many or they aren't as prolifically awful as they are here in the United States, mm -hmm. because guess what? Pine trees should not actually exist in the vast majority of places. They do exist in the United States, but they grow faster than other trees. It's actually a problem but, right here where I live, where they're running out some mm -hmm. of the other native trees. Yup. Um, Georgia and Alabama and much of the South used to be savannas and deciduous forests, and now they're full of pine trees. Anyway, 
Pine trees in the summer get very, very sticky because their sap basically goes completely liquid. And it just oozes out of their the pores in the wood and the bark and gets all over everything. And you get that shit in your clothes, it's not coming Mm-mm. out. Nope. <laughs> it is not coming out. Pine resin is awful. You get that shit in your hair, good you luck. You want me walking around uh, like my... that mosquito and amber, baby. Yep. Uh, my mom hated it whenever I would get uh, pine resin in my hair when I used to climb trees as a kid because, like, I didn't care, but then she'd have to get it out of my hair, and I hated it, and she hated it. Oh no, mother, you'll have to cut my hair. Whatever will I do? Oh no. (laughs) Um, But so, pine trees in the dead middle of summer, you all know that America has been plagued over the past couple of summers by raging wildfires. Mm Mm-hmm. That's because of the pine trees, for the most part. And <sighs> also the fact that there is so much dry, dead plant matter on the forest floors that have not been allowed to burn in controlled burns. And I will say this in defense. Like, I grew up in California. I will say this in defense of California. Up into the 90s, where I grew up, especially in the Sierras around where I grew up, they did controlled burns. They did their best to control this. And then a bunch of... People, like, people who said, like, it's for the environment came in and said they couldn't do control burns anymore because you're destroying too much territory. Never mind ignoring the fact that the control burns were protecting the trees more than and, and helping the trees grow. And so, Yeah, because there are a lot of tree species in America that will not grow without Including fire. the sequoias that make the, the mountains so famous in our area. Um, yep. Anyway, so these idiots like, came in around the 2000s, stopped the controlled burns, and predictably, like, they were, like, people were warning them, we are going to have horrific fires in a few years, and guess what happened? We're having very horrific fires, and we're starting to get them here on the East Coast, too. There was not, I think in 2018, there was a really, really bad fire in Georgia on the Georgia side of the mountains here. Like, it was not very, like, It was two and a half, maybe three hours away from me where this fire was happening. And we could smell and see the smoke here. Yeah, it's just... And I'm further north than that was. Like, Like, this whole sequence made me mad reading it. Like, ah, yes, it it worked, but it's suicidal. Because they would have died Yes, because they wouldn't have been able to get out of that forest fast enough. Especially if they lit it right next to Mm -hmm. themselves. They wouldn't have been able to get out of that forest fast enough and it would kill... Everybody Honestly, did. they're lucky that they didn't have a stray spark go off. Like, this yeah. this whole sequence just made me very mad with them. Like It, it was very <sighs> anxious-making because it's... In their defense, they are having to think on the fly. Mm-hmm. And... It does work. To a degree, it... Yeah, it does work. It is a decent plan. It's not a good plan, but it is decent because it gets the job done and they're able to get out of the forest, but... They aren't able to take the time to come up with a good plan. And, you know, Matthias and good plans... Don't really go hand in hand. No. If... Matthias comes up with decent plans on the fly. He's very good at that. But, also, mm-hmm. this is how he keeps almost dying. <laughs> anyway. Uh, God, just... Pine needles are so flammable, y'all. Do you want, like... Literally, you like, get fire... Tin- like, kindling? Do you want kin? Something to make kindling with? Do you want to make a fire starter? You get pine needles. Pine needles. Dry brown pine needles. Mm-hmm. Don't do green pine nope. needles. They won't burn the same. 
dry brown pine needles. There are so many of them. Do you want uh, an awesome explosion to happen in your fire? Put in a green pine cone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it will explode. Uh, if you put in a dry pine cone, it could feasibly also explode if it hasn't dropped all of its mm-hmm. seeds yet. But it's not as fantastic as a green one because a green one is still full of water. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that if you're going to sit right next to the fire. Do that in a bonfire. <laughs> Slowly, they begin to back out of the forest. They make it out to the southeast of the slaver crew. Not knowing how close they were to the kids, they make camp and plan how to cross the river the next day. The slavers make their way across the river that night, Stoneflex seeing that the rescue party has made it out. He is glad. His fighters could use some fun. Slagar comments that's only if they survive the river. for listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Abbey Archives. And if you'd like to read along with us, join our Discord, linked in the description below. You can also follow our parent podcast at Hope's Hearth Pod. Remember to wash your paws like good dibbins and take care of yourselves. Bye! <laughs>